Welcome to Supplier Experience Live from Hicks, where we explore all the latest topics, trends, and discussion points in the world of procurement, procurement technology, and supplier experience management. In this episode, we journey to Quebec, and I'm delighted to introduce John Hansen, who is a renowned writer and speaker in procurement and counts among the top 50 global thought leaders in this space. So welcome, John. Well, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to a very lively and insightful discussion with you today. Yes, likewise. So, okay then, well, before we get into the main topic today, which is all about procurement transformation, um, could you let us know a little bit more about your background and for those who don't know, uh, how you came to be in procurement? Well, you know, I've been in first high tech for more than 40 years in procurement, not that uh, long afterwards. I, I came into the flow uh, handling uh, major contracts for the Department of Defense, New York City Transit Authority, etc. I uh, actually built up a software company way back in the 90s uh, that used advanced algorithms through funding from the Government of Canada's Scientific Research and Development Program create one of the very first uh, online uh, platforms to uh, acquire uh, indirect material MRO parts for the Department of Defense. Uh, and I ultimately sold that company uh, in 2000 for about $12 million. And from that, I went into the, the world of writing and speaking uh, because people seem to be interested in knowing what that experience I had previously uh, what uh, it entailed and, and how, what they could learn from it, because we're always learning something from someone, aren't we? The Procurement Insights blog, I ultimately launched in May of 2007, so one of the first blogs as well, and uh, the first uh, ever uh, procurement-based podcast called the PI Window on the World uh, that was launched on the Blog Talk Radio Network out of New York City, and, and you know, we, I enjoyed doing it for that, uh, you know, being a pioneer in that area. We eventually got the show up to uh, 15,000 average listeners per month. And on some of the episodes, depending on, on, on the subject matter and the guests, we get as many as uh, 30,000 downloads within the 72, hour, 72 hours of a large broadcast. So uh, in 2019, after 10 years, I hung the uh, virtual headphones up and, and now again am doing predominantly ghostwriting, although I do keep contributing to my Procurement Insights blog. Fantastic. Well, it sounds like you've been hugely busy there. Um, and of course, one of the things that has, has come up and we hear a lot about in the industry is all around procurement transformation. So this word transformation, digital transformation, procurement transformation, P2P transformation. I was wondering what for you does that actually mean and what does it mean in practice? Well, you know, it's interesting because when you think of digital transformation and procurement transformation, it usually centers on a technology-first approach. In other words, the, the, the transition to, to more intuitive software as a service solutions, uh, those kinds of things. Uh, but the reality is, is transformation really is all about transforming the way people think and their approach to doing their jobs. And, and let me elaborate a little bit. Uh, the old days of the ERP, and this isn't taking a shot at ERP, but when it came to procurement, they were very cumbersome. And the rate of, of, of e-procurement initiative success was 70, 80, 90 percent. I mean, the stories, the litany of stories of, of failed uh, initiatives with, with ERP-driven procurement solutions is, is, is common knowledge today. But when the on-demand models came and you moved from uh, months and years to weeks and days implementing them, there was the expectation that that 
solve the technology issue and that people would experience success. But in 2019, Deloitte, for example, uh, did their famous CPO global survey, and the majority of CPOs with the new emerging intuitive technology uh, expressed dissatisfaction with the transformation of their, their procurement practices. So you think about it for a second, and this speaking from a 40-year technology standpoint, the technology addressed the gap. The new emerging technologies, the technologies today, no longer pose the same problems uh, and, 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 and limitations that were in an ERP-only environment, yet people are getting no further ahead. They seem to be stuck in a holding pattern. So what this means is that the transformation is no longer, the fail of transformation is no longer in the technology. The technology will do what it's supposed to do. What it is, is developing the new skills and the mindset for organizations to be able to leverage that technology, to reimagine. I call it reimagining the procurement role. And this was something that was supported by a 2021 Deloitte survey study, which talked about the fact is, is that procurement is no longer just about cost savings and process improvement. You've got digital transformation, introducing new products. You've got to mention factors such as geopolitical stability, or in, in today's case, instability, societal expectations, all of these other factors are coming into the equation and are not under just the realm of the IT department, but actually within the realm of the procurement world. And we have to change our thinking in that regards to properly leverage the technology. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely, absolutely. And it leads me nicely actually into my next question, um, which is around some of these uh, challenges. So you've mentioned there um, issues such as, um, you know, moving away from cost saving to uh, addressing uh, some of the other uh, issues that are taking place, geopolitical instability being being one of those. And of course, that brings with it its, its own challenges. Now, as you mentioned, uh, technology has, has come a long way. But equally, there are challenges, perhaps from a uh, skills or a process perspective as well. So how do you kind of see that interplaying? Well, you know, it's interesting uh, between and this sort of builds on what we were talking about in the previous uh, point is that uh, I'm not sure if you know this, but between 2013 and 2018, a series of studies were done and more than 50 percent of CPOs indicated that they, they felt that their current teams lacked the ability to enable them to achieve their strategic objectives. In other words, the objectives of the procurement department was changing, but their teams didn't have the ability to achieve those. Uh, and what was interesting about that, and that trending is still continued, but for different reasons, it, it becomes it's even become more problematic, which I'll get to in a moment. What it says is, is that the reason why the skills haven't caught up it's the fact that the mindset or the view of procurement hasn't changed. And that original role of cost savings and getting the best deal and delivery and all these things, which are still important elements of the task, but are, are not as important as the other factors that come in. You've got to look at buying smart, diversity. You've got to look at creative thinking. You've got to look at becoming more strategic and, and leveraging the RPAs and the AIs to handle the more what you would call mundane or intuitive functions. You've got to look at things like data, being uh, creating a data culture within your procurement environment. I mean, I don't know if you realize this, but only 5% of data, according to ICC, is ever analyzed. A lot of it remains dark data, and so many procurement organizations are flying in the dark. So even though the technology has advanced to capture real-time information, uh, unlike the old days of the ERP where you couldn't extract the information in a timely factor, now you can. 
the fact is, is, is that they, they, there's no lead on, on, on that area of, of being able to manage data. I mean, who should manage data? If you ask a lot of organizations of taking the lead of data governance, uh, many of them are probably still looking at the IT department, seeing it as an IT issue. The reality is, is that data governance, especially when it comes to the procurement function and its increasing importance, which we are all now aware of, uh, due to the pandemic and the the the, the recent uh, war in Ukraine and other factors like that, uh, what's what's happening there is is that there's a shift saying we've got to get a handle on it. Who's going to take the lead? And those are the skill sets that we need to see developed by the procurement professional, by the curriculums that are are moving up. It's again no longer a transactional type of adjunct to finance of buying something. It is actually a strategic element that you have to navigate. Do you see where I'm going with that? Absolutely. And I think um, you've touched on some really interesting points there. And certainly from, from our perspective, actually, um, data culture and, and government governance are uh, two areas that, that come up frequently. Something you mentioned there that I also find very interesting is that the view of procurement needs to change, as, as you mentioned there, which obviously you know, that's, that involves perhaps a bit of a rebranding of, of what uh, procurement is, is all about. Um, so my question would be, in terms of overcoming some of these challenges, would you say that's the, that is perhaps one of the, the main ones, is changing this view of procurement and how it's traditionally been known as that tran transactional piece? Um, what, what would you say are some of the priorities around uh, what needs to be done here? Well, I think it starts at the top where you have an entirely new mindset as to, to procurement's role. Uh, let's face it. I mean, anyone who's been in our industry for a long period of time knows that supply chain and procurement touches every area of our everyday lives, right? We know that. You see the bag of groceries being carried out from the, from the market to your car. That's procurement. You pick up your phone to make a call. Uh, that's, uh, that, that's, that's supply chain. Nothing happens. Now, what I think was a critical point is we were talking about it a great deal, but it wasn't until the pandemic hit that we realized the true depth of, of, of supply chain's impact. I mean, I, I'm sure you'll agree. If you look at the news and the headlines, we're seeing supply chain and procurement pop up everywhere. In fact, just this morning, I read an article about uh, uh, Prince Charles talking about the importance of public supply or government supply chain and having to see changes occur there. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a recent speech you gave. What you're, what you're seeing now is that people are starting to realize that there is an area, all areas that supply chain touches and thus the gaps that we've experienced, the interruptions we've experienced, the disruptions we've experienced shone a light on where our focus hasn't been and where it needs to be. And I think that's really one of the key things. And it, it starts at the top. It starts with, with, the, with the beginning of the organization and the expectations and, and how things work. It also isn't something we can do in isolation. I mean, let me give you an idea. And this was an interesting point that sort of was an eye opener to me, is that um, when the pandemic, before the pandemic hit, uh, CPOs were generally talking about in a series of studies about value-added procurement, about procurement value. Value was a key word. It was a buzzword during that period of time. When the pandemic hit, studies show that the majority of procurement uh, leaders reverted to the comfortable or familiar. That is, we've got to get the best price. Give you an example or the best terms from our suppliers. Give you an example. Let me, let me draw a parallel between the past and the present. The supplier or the, the CPOs and the business organizations, including finance, 
uh, when the pandemic first hit, said, look, uh, we got to go back to our suppliers, use our technology and insights to get longer terms out of them. In other words, we're having a cash flow issue or potential risk of cash flow. We're going to extend payments to suppliers. The innovative ones, the emerging ones, and there weren't enough of them, but there's starting to be more, looked at it from the other side of the equation. They said, wait a second, the supply network, the infrastructure, if we, if we extend our payments to them and hit their cash flow, it's going to have an impact on us. So what we're going to do in a variety of situations, what we're going to do is we're going to pay them early. We're going to pay them in a day. We're going to get a discount on that. And we're going to be in this with our supply partners. Now, if you think about that just for a moment, uh, when you have supply networks and suppliers who are going through a strain and they only have limited resources and capabilities, who are they more prone to work with? The company that is paying them faster or the company that's trying to preserve their cash flow and making them give them longer terms? The people who will stay with the latter are usually the suppliers that are in incredible trouble and they have no alternative or other choice. You never want a supply chain of last resort. On the other side, the suppliers who were paid put their resources behind those companies who paid them earlier. Now, I'm going to take it a step further. There was an amazing panel discussion on diversity and the head of, of Facebook's diversity program, and not everybody will agree with what they did, but I thought it was quite inventive, is not only did they pay their suppliers early, but they also paid the invoices of the, 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 that was owed to their suppliers by other customers. In other words, the, the, the supplier had Facebook as a customer and they had other customers who were slow and couldn't pay. Facebook actually fronted them the money that would be paid back to them uh, when the supplier collected finally from those other customers. And I mean, there was interest consideration. There was uh, uh, savings consideration. But do you see the creativity? That is the, the, that's the spectrum. And unfortunately, how far have we moved from when, when the chips are down to being how do we get the best and lowest price? How do we get extended terms to how do we make this work as a, as, as a collaborative effort with our supply chain? And until the top to bottom, and I'm not just talking about the, the CPO level, I'm talking about the CEO level, the CFO level, etc. Until we get to that stage of internal collaborative uh, uh, collaboration and someone taking the lead, which should be procurement, uh, we're, we're going to be, we're going to constantly be, be living the past mistakes. Totally agree. And you, you've introduced a, a really in, interesting point here, which is that supplier view. Um, and that came through in the example that you, you just gave um, and, and kind of demonstrating that uh, you, you're in it with them, as, as you said. Um, and that means obviously that the supplier experience, so their perspective and um, uh, how they see things is going to become more and more important. Would, would you agree? Well, absolutely. Absolutely. And remember, you know what? The term win-win has been around as long as I've been around in terms of the industry. And it's more been of a punchline than a true understanding of, of what win-win actually entails. I think what you look at now is, is you, 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 and these are where the new skills have to be developed, mind you. Because a lot of the procurement professionals from the past were, again, dealing with functional elements. They were dealing with transactions, negotiating pricing, you know, uh, the old mindset of you don't get what you deserve, you get what you negotiate. I, I remember Kate McCassick, who wrote the book Getting to We and other such uh, books, talked about her, her time at Microsoft, where the procurement people's incentives 
were driving down the price or the cost uh, that they would get something from their supply network. And Kate realized that, you know, what happened is, is has that, that, that as we got more savings, as we achieved more savings, the level of the relationship diminished that much more. And eventually what happens is, is it's, it's, it's reflected in, in the quality of work. In fact, there's a famous auto industry survey done of all suppliers in, in, in that field. And uh, one of the biggest things they're talking about was slow payment. And when they looked at it, they said, okay, what does slow payment really cost us? What are the unintended consequences? They found that the suppliers who got paid faster on time delivered better service that resulted in the better delivery of an end product, a better product. And so, you know, when you look at these decisions, you can, you can't do it in a vacuum any further. You can't do it within a, a limited uh, functional silo. You have to look at it from its broader reach. And if there's one thing the pandemic has taught us, if there's one thing that the instability, geopolitical instability has taught us, is that there are unintended consequences and we have to extend our, our, our field of vision to understand what we do and what impact it has. So increasing that that uh, field of vision, and we're also talking a little bit here about a, a bit of a wider mandate actually for procurement than what we've seen in the past. Keeping it with the suppliers just for a moment, how do you think procurement should start to look to work with suppliers to tackle all of these areas? So here I'm thinking cybersecurity is uh, very much in, in the news for 2022 supply chain resilience, as, as you've mentioned, has moved up the agenda, um, increased risk. Do you think it's a, a data transparency question? Should there be more efficient comms? I was just wondering, what are some of your thoughts around, um, aside from you know paying suppliers more quickly, there are many other things that, that can be done as well, right, from a supplier experience perspective? Well, yes, you look at it. And first of all, I'll say what I said at the very beginning, the technology today versus the old days, you know, when we used to have EDI or XML, even when it first emerged, the, the, the technology capability of suppliers weren't in place to be able to properly leverage. In other words, the process of doing business with a company, especially with the ERP platforms, became uh, onerous and time-consuming where it wasn't worth the effort on the part of suppliers. And certainly with, uh, with, with buyers uh, who knew they could do a better job, uh, you know, it limited that communication. The technology has improved now. That gap is gone. Suppliers can be onboarded quickly. You've got instant information. There's all kinds of things. What we don't have, and I'm going to sound like a broken record here, is the mindset. Let's talk about cybersecurity for just a minute. A, a July 2019 supply chain digital article talked about the fact that 56% of organizations experienced a breach caused by their third-party vendors. Think about that for a moment. 56% of all corporate breaches that affect all elements of the corporation, not just procurement, but all elements, originate in a procurement relationship. On the flip side of that, and this is problematic, is that 32% buying organizations who responded had no idea where their third-party suppliers were storing their data or how they were handling it. And worse yet, 25% didn't think it was their responsibility to worry about that, that if there was a breach, it was their suppliers. So how do you solve a problem uh, to, that, that, that you don't acknowledge is a problem for you? And that mindset is the key. In other words, we have the technology. What we don't have is the, 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 the innovative forward thinking mindset that we need to have. Now, what's changing that 
is, for example, uh, with data privacy laws, the GDPR, for example, is holding companies accountable for their entire chain of information control. In other words, you can no longer say, well, the breach didn't occur because of me. It was what my suppliers are doing. People are actually being held accountable for that. The, the, the GDPR uh, is, 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 is the fining organizations who, who don't protect data privacy, who don't handle cybersecurity or address it as a serious risk. And that, if you look at it, if procurement is, 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 is the open door where the majority of these attacks occur, who better than procurement to take the lead on managing that? Do you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. And I wondered, actually, there's a case to be made here for the end-to-end -end ownership of a supplier relationship with all of these different factors. And when you look at an organization, it's really procurement that has that, that ability, um, if it wanted to take it up, to actually own the, the entire end-to-end -end supplier relationship. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think when you, when you look at it, the technology, again, is there. But you look at it and you have to have your leadership say, okay, in procurement. And, you know, I remember once giving a, a lecture to 100 senior uh, procurement executives a number of years ago. And I, I asked them the question, uh, how many are familiar with risk? Uh, how many uh, are experiencing risk? And, of course, they all had. I then said, uh, is procurement responsible for the risk? And only two or, hand, two or three hands went up. And I thought, wait a second, you all acknowledge that there's risks, there's things that happen. Only two or three of 100 at that point said, well, it's our responsibility. I then asked the third question, which I thought was telling, how many of you think procurement takes responsibility when there is a breach or there is an interruption or there is a problem? Whose doorstep does it land on? And 98% of them said, it's our problem. So if you think about it, you can't acknowledge a problem exists. You can't acknowledge that the responsibility for fixing the problem falls on your shoulders if you don't, first of all, respond and acknowledge your responsibility for managing that. And the same is with data. You know, data governance is a key thing. You know, I talked about only 5% of all data is ever analyzed. Why is that? Is there a data culture that's created? So do you go to data? Who owns data? So you've got to look at your organization and says, who owns risk? Who owns data? Where is the point of risk? Who benefits the most from the data that we get? All of these factors are now coming into play. And we're not just talking about data from a financial standpoint. I mean, Robert Rudzik wrote a great book many, many years ago about straight to the bottom line about how procurement had to become well-versed in, 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 in CFO talk, because uh, I think it was something like 82% of all CFOs did not believe that procurement added any value to the organization, nor any competitive advantage, which we all know is not true. You do add value. You do add uh, these other extra elements on here. The problem was, is, is that they were trying to convert procurement to think like a CFO. Procurement doesn't have to change the way they think to be like a CFO. Procurement just has to recognize their scopes of influences. And that goes back to the Deloitte 2021 survey, uh, where uh, CPO Global Survey, where they said that procurement isn't just about cost savings anymore. Procurement isn't just about process improvement. It includes all of these other elements. And, and so I now what's, what's going to fuel that fire is the reality of what we've encountered through these uh, certainly volatile times. 
but also we're talking about, again, emerging legislations uh, like the, the GDPR, uh, you know, like uh, d diversity and all these other elements on here that are, that are becoming so very, very important. These are things that we have to become well-versed at, but we can't if it doesn't come from the top down, if the curriculums don't reflect the new requirements for these skills to adapt and evolve, and I'm talking about at the university level, certification level, those are the areas. It, it, it's working towards the middle, but it, you know, you, you, you can't acquire skills if you go into an organization that still sees procurement as being a transactional function rather than a strategic imperative. Mm -hmm. And you've brought in a couple of other topics there, um, which are also coming to the fore more and more. Um, and for good reason. So things such as diversity, sustainability, and of course, many of these are wrapped up into some of the corporate ambitions, which is, to your point, where it interlinks or dovetails, let's say, with um, how management and the culture at a top level should, should be driving this. W with that in mind, I wondered, with the wider mandate, how do you see the future of procurement evolving? Do you think um, more and more of these uh, wider initiatives will start to impact uh, how procurement is seen or what they need to be doing on a day-to-day -day basis? Let's put it this way. And I, I, I interviewed the uh, the president of uh, Microsoft Canada in a, during the discussion, and he came up with an interesting line. He said, transform or be transformed. Think about that for just a moment. The fact remains is these changes are coming, whether procurement is ready for them or not. The question is, is are we going to be a spectator or are we going to be a driving force in those elements? Are we going to be the ones taking the, the lead? Somebody has to step in. You know, I, you've heard it as long as I probably have about procurement having a seat at the table. The reality is we are the table. The reality is, is, is that we don't have to ask permission for it. We just have to step forward and, 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 and take the initiative. To, to deal with these areas. You've got legislation coming down on us, as I had indicated. You have the realities, the diversity. You have a connected world where if you look at any headline, a supply chain is mentioned more frequent, frequently in the news than it has been ever in the past. You have governments talking about the fact is we've got to get involved in securing our domestic supply chains. You have everybody's lining up to address this problem. And if procurement doesn't step to the forefront, then who will? Other organizations uh, within the organization, who's better equipped to do that? Can the CFO do that from a purely financial standpoint? Can a CIO do that because of the technology? You see, we're the, the focal point for uniting and bringing all of that together. Technology and finance and social responsibility, risk management, all of those key elements. The, the, the hub is going to be procurement, is procurement. And we've got to equip our people to be able to do that. But again, sound like a broken record, we have to uh, have that mindset change. And that goes back to the original thing. Technology has transformed. It's ready for us. We need to transform our way of viewing the profession and our responsibilities. And actually, that leads me nicely to um, another question that I'd be interested in, in your view on, actually, John. Um, when we're thinking about that, obviously there'll be a lot of people listening who are in procurement, it's uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. What would be your advice for them in terms of what should they go and do now to start to influence some of this change? Because you're right, right? It's gotta be, we've got to influence at, at very top level to get some of these, uh, well, really to get the support so that we can have a platform for success. 
Well, you know what? I think I'm going to come up with a seditious suggestion. Uh, and I was once asked this question, it's a tough question. How do we how do we change from within? How do we lead from a non-leadership position? How do we influence upper level? Well, first of all, as procurement professionals, and companies are starting to do this now, as procurement professionals, the best and the brightest, uh, you have to ascertain whether or not at what stage of digital maturity your organization is, at what stage of transformation maturity is your organization. And if you are still stuck in the role of getting the lowest price and cost savings and all of these things, the recommendation is move on to another company who you don't have to sell. Move on to a company who wants to do that proactively. And that's the key, uh, because what's that's going to happen is going to force the laggards to catch up because there are companies now gradually shifting. And again, fueled by what's happened with the pandemic, fueled by the, 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 the geopolitical instability we're now experiencing. And this won't be the last of it who are, are saying we've got to change the way we do things. There are companies and organizations who are redefining what procurement is and what it involves. And, and the, 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 the uh, CPO survey from 2021 by Deloitte sort of indicates uh, and, and, and provides a, a, a signage to where they have to go. So the first thing you do is determine, is there the will within your organization to be able to do that? And if there is, and you can begin to see proactive changes, you become a part of the data governance model, you become involved in cybersecurity, you become in all those things and you're being invited in, you've got an organization that's ready for change. If you're not, find one that is. Now, why do I say this? Is because another study came out saying between 2018 and 2028, the, uh, the, the vacuum of jobs in the procurement world is going to grow to something like 2.4 million unfulfilled positions. You know, we're talking about the great resignation period. We're talking about people reevaluating. We're talking about remote working. All these things are changing. Procurement, there's going to be a shortfall of people coming in. In other words, the, 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 the battle for talent is going to change because there aren't enough people to fill the jobs that are needed. So what that means is, is organization, and that's another pull through, organizations who are looking for talent, well, they're going to be more interviewed by the prospective uh, candidate than the candidate is going to be interviewed by them. And so candidates now, especially the up and coming generation, is looking at things like social responsibility, is looking at things like cybersecurity, is looking at all these new elements that weren't part of our historic transactional mindset. And the companies who are going to win the best talent, the war for talent, are going to be the ones who, from top down, start to say, how do we, we have a proactive, uh, energized procurement practice that goes beyond just simply buying something. Absolutely, some excellent advice there. And I also hear more and more, um, it's an excellent time to be in procurement, right? So people who are sort of joining new to the profession, lots of opportunities being opened up by the, the way in which it's evolving. Oh yeah, and the mindset has changed because if they don't have what they were expecting with one company, they'll move on average. And I don't know if you know this statistic, but on average for all jobs, but in the procurement field, uh, new hires last only 18 months. Now, here's the interesting point about that is this goes all the way up to the manager, senior management level. And that's uh, another discussion for another day as to why a lot of the digital transformation strategies go off the rails, because the leaders who have implemented that or are looking to implement that for the CPOs or, or the, the, the procurement department, uh, they're not there for a long enough period. And you lose that, that perfect storm of the right people in the right place at the right time. So, you know, we're into a very volatile job market. 
and people are are looking for the right company. So you have to present yourself as being the right company who is forward looking, who understands the role of procurement, again, beyond the traditional confines of, of, of what we limited the profession to being. Fantastic. Yeah. And um, I guess another element of this that you would agree with is keep building that knowledge, keep curious, keep on educating yourself. And actually, that leads me to um, my, my next question for you, actually, because I know you're you're producing a, a lot of content. Um, it'd be great to know, John, some of the things that you're working on next. Well, you know, it's interesting is uh, and uh, we sort of talked about in the virtual green room. Uh, I launched Procurement Insights in May 2007, so it's one of the oldest blogs in the industry. Uh, and uh, it, uh, it, it, I continue to write for it. I, I'm more selective, not that I wasn't selective before, but certainly more selective in the content that I post there. It's more personally driven by my, my, my interests. Uh, uh, you know, you get to a certain stage in your career and age where you want to write about the things you want to write about. And hopefully the people that have followed you before will continue to. And it seems to be working that way. So I'm, I'm always going to be writing for Procurement Insights. But I write for both practitioners and providers, ghostwrite for them. And that's articles, blogs, both, uh, books, etc. And as I mentioned to you, you've probably read some of the works I've done for, for, for some of these clients of mine. Uh, in magazines and, and not know it was me. And I'm fine with that. So my future is to continue to 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 uh, be part of creating the narrative that our industry needs through the ghostwriting, through the work I do with other people and aligning what their vision is with where the market needs to go. And and that's a big part of it. And of course, I, I still do the occasional speaking engagement and, and, and moderate and write webinars. I love panel discussions. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's pretty much the same thing, but the, the working in the background for me is, is, is interesting, rewarding, and it's exciting. Well, also, it's absolutely invaluable, and, and we're lucky to, to have you writing that narrative and, and producing this, this material. So, um, John, thanks for joining us today. I loved our conversation, um, and uh, it was really great to hear from you. Well, it was great to uh, to uh, spend this time with you as well. I, I think you've got a great uh, a great podcast format here, and uh, you know I look forward to to listening and continue to listen uh, in the future. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please don't forget to hit the like or subscribe button. Or for more information about us, visit our website www.hicks.com.